Average Golfers Unite. This is Nick's Golf Guy Podcast, round 15, bringing you another avalanche of Average Golfer Guy illumination. An injection to stimulate you for the game we all love and sometimes hate. So stick around. Average Golfers Unite. This is Nick's Golf Guy Podcast, a podcast designed for average golfers like me. Round 15 this week, I'm Nick McClendon coming to you from Kiln Creek Golf Course and Resort in Newport News, Virginia today. I'm really excited about this round of Nick's Golf Guy podcast and glad you could join me. Today we're going to be covering golf news, what is happening on the PGA Tour, and an interview and course review with head pro golfer Chris Dillo here at Kiln Creek Golf Course and Resort. We have plenty of average golfer things to discuss in between, so let's get things started with this week's Off the Tee. The U.S. Open took place this past weekend, June 16th through 19th at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. And man, what a tournament it was. The Englishman Matt Fitzpatrick held on after hitting his tee shot on the 18th hole into a fairway bunker, turning what looked like a doomed moment into a stroke of genius, nailing the bunker shot onto the green. He went on to finish the putt and winning the U.S. Open with six under and closing out the third major of the 2022 season. Kudos to Will Zillatoris, who just missed his putt on the 18th to take it to a playoff. Congrats on the win, Matt Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick takes home $3,150,000. Next up on the PGA Tour, the Travelers Championship at the TPC River Highlands in Cromwell, Connecticut, coming up this weekend, June 23rd through 26th. Purse is $8.3 million. Speaking of money... Top three uh, moneymakers in the land thus far this year on the tour. Cameron Smith, the Aussie, comes in at third place with $7,189,204. Rory McIlroy, man from Northern Ireland, comes in second place with $7,195,464. And the number one moneymaker on the tour thus far, Mr. Sh- Scotty Scheffler, $12,896,849. Probably has a pretty nice house. And the top three ranked golfers in the world this week, the Spaniard, John Rahm, hangs in at number three this week. Rory McIlroy jumps into the number two spot on the world stage after a fantastic outing this past weekend. And the number one golfer in the world, man from Texas, holds on to number one spot, Scotty Scheffler. That's going to do it for this round's Off the Tee. Coming up on Nick's Golf Guy Podcast Round 15, the interview and course review with head golf professional at Kiln Creek Golf Club, Chris Dillo. So let's head on over to this round's The Drive. Good afternoon and welcome to Kiln Creek Golf Club and Resort. This is Nick McClendon from Nick's Golf Guy Podcast. And I have my guest today here with me, uh, golf the head pro golfer here at Killen Creek, Chris Dillo. Chris, how you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on, Nick. All right, great. We had a good time today on the uh, on the course. We're gonna talk about that a little later on, but um, right now, you know, after I've gotten to know you today, I uh, wanted to kind of really just kind of unwind things, wind wind things back a little bit, and talk about you know you and your golf journey. And uh, first, 
Uh, tell us where you're from and uh, how, how you got interested in golf. Yeah, well, I'm from uh, a very, very small town, uh, Bland, Virginia, which is in the southwest part of the state. Um, not quite in the tip of Virginia, but pretty darn close uh, in the Appalachian Mountains. So, um, again, small town, but uh, good people up there. Uh, as far as getting into golf, uh, I started at the age of five uh, just playing and then experienced my first tournament at age of 10. I think that's really what got me boosted. But my dad got me involved in golf. That's um, He would play with his friends. He's actually coming down here on a golf trip next week. So, um just being around him and wanting to spend time with my dad, I think, is probably what got me involved in the game. Oh, cool. Awesome. And then you kind of um, – let's kind of jump forward. Your high school career in Bland, at Bland High School, mm-hmm. how did that How did that shape your your, your golf game and, and who you are today? Yeah. Or was th- it the beginning? Is, is Yeah, no, I think it pr- probably was definitely the beginning. Uh, a small town that probably doesn't raise many golfers, but um, – uh, High school golf, I think I learned that I had a talent and decided to run with it. And um, some success at the high school level, obviously, I think had a huge impact on me playing college golf and then college golf into professional golf and so on. Guy, yeah, guy, good. So, and speaking of college golf, you went to uh, Radford where you had a – Radford University in Radford, Virginia, where you had a, a pretty decent uh, career there. Yeah. You, could you expand on that a little bit and how you grew as a golfer? Yeah, uh, Radford was an unbelievable experience. Um, playing Division One college golf uh, around uh, in the Big South Conference, which was cool. Dustin Johnson was in the Big South Conference at that time, playing for Coastal Carolina. A lot of players who end up going to be on tour were playing there. So getting to uh, kind of cut your teeth or groom yourself against that kind of talent um, can – it only raises your level of play. Um, and so uh, that was a huge experience. And then playing for a coach, uh, Coach Mike Grant, who's, who's still there today, um, had a tremendous impact on me. Uh, didn't necessarily t- teach me how to swing a golf club, but he taught me how to play the game. And uh, the amount of growth that I had in a four or five year period at Radford was pretty special because of his tutelage, I would say. Could you, uh, you, you brought this up. We talked about this on the course a little bit. Could you kind of expand a little bit on what you meant by, by playing the game? Yeah. Um, how, how he, he kind of tra- transformed yeah. that for you? Well, he, I think the strategy aspects of it, uh, the mindset of it, uh, learning how to, I don't want to say hit different shots, but just understanding the right times to hit certain shots and and how to strategically get around a golf course, uh, playing to positions. Um, And, and again, the mindset, you know, what is a good golfer, you know, how do they go about playing their game? What happens when you get two or three under par? Are you happy with that and you try to just get it in, or do you try to dig a little bit deeper and get four or five or six under? You know, so – Different things like that, that that he impressed upon me, and I feel like my teammates too, that obviously led to a career or a desire to play at, at a professional level. Right on. That's, that is awesome. It's always great to have that mentor in your past who kind of brought you up and, and shared those insights on the game with you. Um, speaking of, so you, your dad kind of introduced you to, to golf. You played golf in high school and then on to Radford University. Um, when did you know that becoming a PGA player was going to be a goal for you? Well, it was an, that was a dream to play uh, PGA Tour golf. Uh, in terms of my journey as a PGA member, 
uh, and being a club professional, I think that came after, I want to say failing, but failing to play uh, play well enough to make it as a professional, touring professional. And, uh, and I just – my love for the game of golf has brought me to the profession I'm in today. And it just so happens that as PGA members, we still get to compete. There's tournaments for us um, at a high level uh, with some phenomenal golfers uh, in the mid-Atlantic section. So it's kind of given me an opportunity to ch- chase after a dream of, you know, I'm working in this industry, which is an industry I've always loved but also giving me the opportunity to still play and compete, which is something I've always dreamed of doing. That's awesome. That is awesome. And we'll get to where you are right now a little later on. Um, Tell me more about your PGA experiences. And most of all, what moments stand out most to you as a a PGA player? Was it a a certain tournament you played or – you talking about as a PGA member, a member of the PGA, or are you talking about playing like PGA Tour event? PGA Tour event. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, when I played in Greensboro in the in the Wyndham Championship, that was in 2007. I was still an amateur at that at that time, and I was in college. Uh, you can't, you can't dream. I mean, just imagine being an amateur basketball player playing at high school level. The next day, you're playing against LeBron James right. in the NBA, uh, or or even if you're in college, uh, and I wasn't a world beater, I wasn't anything special. I just had a, a flash in a bottle type moment, I guess. Um, but it's 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 an unbelievable sensation um, to to be able to see to look across the fairway and see superstars. Uh, Brent Snedeker won his first tour event at that time uh, during that tournament, and I remember hitting bunker shots, and he's hitting bunker shots right next to me, preparing for his round. Um, it's just a it's everything that you could imagine it would be. And then more, right? If you can allow yourself to enjoy it, yeah. <laughs> I think that I think that we, a lot of average golfers out there would ha- have a hard time wrapping their head around yeah. something like that, having that yeah. t- that type of experience for sure. Yeah. Um, so you're the head golf professional here at Kiln Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you begin that path in your golf career um, to you know be the the head golf pro at? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll shout out a couple of names because they're, they're local professionals, but. Um, um, I started out just in my journey uh, to playing professionally. I worked at golf clubs and things like that. So I actually worked at Kiln Creek back in like 2010, 11 that that time. And and uh, Mark Houston, who's a teaching professional up at Kiskek Golf Club, he kind of got me, gave me an opportunity to work in the industry just so I could have an opportunity to play. And um, and then I went out and played for a little bit and didn't quite cut it. Um, and then when I was looking for jobs and came back, um, actually one of the, uh, the, my boss here, the general manager, he says, Hey, there's, um, there's a pro over at this golf club. They're looking for an assistant. If you're interested, maybe reach out to her. And so I called this, this lady, um, she's the head pro over at sleepy hole now. And, um, she did an interview with me on the phone and hired me and I worked for her for eight months. Um, I worked at James River Country Club, which is across the street for a little bit. And um, I think um, that kind of got me started or at least bridged a gap. But whenever I went to work for Katie, um, like I said, she's at Sleepy Hole now. But when I went to work for her, that's where my PGA club professional business, that's where that started. Okay. And um, there was a um, our local Titleist rep who I was friends with and still am to this day. His name's Paul Schubring. Um, he's like, man, we got to get you involved in the PGA stuff. 
And he's like, I tell you what, to help you pay for your stuff uh, to get started, I'll um, we'll donate a set of golf clubs at a low cost or whatever, and, and I'll let you um, you know raffle it off squares. And whoever wins, you can get them a set of golf clubs and use the rest to help you get started. And so that's how I got started on my PGA journey to pay for my books and to go down that path. And, right. uh, and it was two years after that, I was a class A PGA member. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. That's cool. an incredible story. Yeah. Pretty cool. So, um, switching gears, uh, you started an instructional insight program. That's kind of what I called it, okay. uh, to help golfers improve their golf performance. It's called Chris Dillo performance golf. Tell us more about Chris Dillo performance golf and how that started and how it is, how it has it impacted the average golfers you work with well the how i built that out was um i've taken instruction obviously for some of the best instructors in in the united states um for short game long game you name it local uh, abroad or whatever and um and just phenomenal information first and foremost um they tell good golfers they give good golfers i feel like instruction obviously that they couldn't give to a normal golfer um maybe they couldn't comprehend it or whatever but i still feel like they're giving me information I'm like well man if some if the average golfer knew this it would help them too and so um from my experiences there or lack thereof i mean you could go and pay i've paid 300 dollars for a golf lesson and spend an hour or an hour and a half with that person, and that's it. There was nothing tangible, there was no video, there was no audio, nothing other than what I recorded afterwards about the lesson. They didn't give me a take home, they didn't give me anything other than that information, and I understand that aspect of it. But for me, I took all the things, I'm like, what do tour players have? They have a team around them. They have a golf instructor, maybe a short game instructor, they have uh, a fitness guru, um, they have a sports psychologist. They have this team around them. I'm like, well, I'm, I know about golf. I can coach uh, from a golf standpoint because I've played at the highest level um, and been through everything else. Uh, I have a background in psychology. That's what I went to school for. Um, uh, not really good on the fitness side, but I can learn, and I do have some common knowledge about uh, golf fitness and things like that. I said, well, I can be that guy. I can be that team for a player. But more importantly is I can share things with people or with golfers um, that maybe I didn't have that information, that I've come across it over the past several years and my own desires and ambitions to play at a high level. I can start to use those things to help these people bridge the gap. And um, so that's where Chris Dillow Performance Golf was kind of that's where it was born from. And, um, and so that's what I try to give to all of my players. Um, most of them are juniors. Um, and I try to share with them the things, the tools that I probably didn't have when I was a junior coming up that would have had a huge impact on me. And um, hopefully it has a huge impact on them and helps them accomplish things that I, I merely dreamed of. Oh, right on. Right on. That's great. I'm sure I'm sure. after playing a round of golf with you today, I'm sure your, uh, your students are, are very well receptive to, to all the insights and things that you, you give them for sure. So um, – I found a quote on uh, on social media that you um, that you said that you put out there, and it was something that I personally, as an average golfer, agreed with one thousand percent. And it says a little hint: sometimes golfers don't need a lesson every week. Sometimes they need to play, play, and then play some more. Playing is the best way to improve, and lessons merely complement your scoring needs. 
sometimes the players have to figure out their own way instead of teaching a teacher doing it for them. What Could you break that down a little bit and, and what you might mean by that? Well, the, to me, this goes back to my childhood. Mm-hmm. and uh, But I've seen it in, in other people if they, they test it, basically. So when I was a kid, um, I played my first turn. I was telling my juniors, we're doing camps right now, I was telling them this the other day. Um, at 10 years old, I played my first golf tournament. I think I shot like 111 or 121, something like that. It was terrible, whatever it was. Um, I broke several rules, ground clubs and bunkers, all that stuff. Learned a lot that day. Okay, that was at 10. At the age of 11, I broke 80 for the first time. That's a year. That's a year gap. That's, that's one year, and I'm a kid. What uh-huh. do I know? Um, here's the difference. My mom used to take us to the golf course, which was about 15, 20 minutes away, but 10 minutes away from where she worked. She would take us, drop us off the golf course at 8 o'clock in the morning. She would go to work. She would get off at 5 and come pick us up. That's an eight-hour every day. We didn't have a driving range. That's a lot of golf. It is. Yeah. We didn't have a driving range. Uh, we had a putting green. We had an 18-hole golf course. So guess what? Played golf every day. Every day. I didn't hit balls. We played golf every day, my brother, my, my older brother and I. Um, and so that's how I went from shooting 111 or 120 or whatever it is to breaking 80 in a year because we played golf every single day. Right. So I would almost tell someone, Hey, there is some instruction you need. You might get a little off and need a little hint or a little tip to get you back on. Um, but go and play. You will figure out your own way to score or your own way to hit a shot, uh, without someone telling you. And then it's even more ingrained then because it's just seated in your brain at that point. So, um, that's where that statement comes from. And, and anyone I've tested to do that, or the more someone plays, I found that they end up improving quite, quite quickly. Huh? That's great. Yeah. Again, I, as an average golfer, I just love to go out and, and just, uh, play as many rounds of golf as I possibly can. So I, I found, uh, found that quote very interesting. The next thing with that, and I'm going to bring this up because, uh, we talked about this on the golf course and maybe I think it's something that you kind of display to your, your students as well is, um, do you play checkers or do you play chess? Could you kind of break that down? Um, that question that you asked me and kind of break it down how, how, how golfers would see that. Yeah. I posted that on social media this morning. And, uh, for me, it is checkers is very service, uh, surface level, uh, very elementary in in my perspective of things. Certainly there's strategy and, and this and everything else, but, uh, not quite the level of strategy or thought or mental tasking that goes on in a game of chess. And, and so for me, um, I want my players and I try to do this too. Like you got to think of, the elements um there's a lot of play the wind's blowing a a certain percentage or whatever that's gonna have an impact on your golf ball uphill lie versus downhill lie like you got to take all those things into consideration and if you leave one of them out then you're you're kind of setting yourself up to struggle um and so uh, again with chess you're trying to make moves in advance or you at least got to know where the pieces need to be on the on the board before you make the moves and in golf, you, you kind of have to set it up very, very similarly. Um, you have to be prepared uh, before you hit a shot. And that preparation might be your club of choice, uh, factoring in the lie, the wind, all those things, maybe where you want to position the ball to give you a good angle into the hole. Those little bit of things, maybe it only matters a tenth of a shot per hole. But over ten holes, that's a shot. And that one shot could be the difference between you doing something 
successful, maybe shooting a career low round, or maybe win a tournament. Yep. And so that's the difference for me, I think. And checkmate. <laughs> yeah, good. Awesome. So I have one more question um, in regards to um, uh, so your your kind of outlook on on golf, and I saw this on Instagram, on uh, Chris Dillo uh, Golf on Instagram it says uh, they take experienced golfers and teach them how to hit golf shots from absolutely perfect and flat lies. Now let me let me I digress. The picture that you had captioned were two little kids in one of those little um, electric cars, power that, wheel, power like, wheel. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the, the caption read, I'll read this again. They take ex- inexperienced golfers and teach them how to hit golf shots from absolutely perfect and flat lies. And they do it over and over again. Swipe left. That's the equivalent of putting a child who has been driving a power wheels car behind the wheel of an actual automobile and expecting them to be able to drive down a busy freeway. How you think, how you think that's going to work out? Students are set up for failure because they aren't getting the transfer experience they need to take their game from the range to the course. That doesn't happen under my watch. So my question is, is um, could you explain transfer experience and how you, when you're teaching your students, how do you um, implement that in their game? Yeah, the transfer part is, let's say if I take you out for a golf lesson and, and I have you hitting the ball really well in the range, Right. okay? Well, what's a situation that scares you? Maybe it's water to the right or whatever. Um, the first place I go is put you in that situation. And say, all right, now, you were just hitting the ball well on the range. You were tickled to death. Now there's out of bounds right, or there's a water penalty area or whatever to the right. All right, now let's see you hit that shot. And I'm putting you in a situation. Now, it's, it's not any different than what you're doing on the range other than the fact that there's a penalty area out there now. But can you mentally block that out, focus on what we worked on in the lesson, and hit this shot, and hit it where you want to hit it? Um, that helps us with the transfer. Because it doesn't matter how well we always hear, well, I'm a great range player, but I don't do really well on the golf course. Right. Well, maybe you spend too much time on the range, which goes back to what I was saying before. You need to play more. Right. Um, I think that that's a big part of it. But also, when we get to hitting the ball well on the range, let's go to the golf course and test it. Let's test how well it does because that's the deciding factor. Right. We've got to score well out there. We've got to do well and make pars and this and that everything on the golf course, not on the range. Anybody can make a par on the range. So that's where the transfer uh, comes from. Um, and it would be no different than if I got you hitting the ball well on the range. Okay, well, let's go out on the golf course and let me put you on a side hill lie or a downhill lie or uphill or whatever. All right, now hit it. Because some of the variables change. You might have to grip down the club or whatever. Right. And, um, again, until you're in those experiences, yeah, you, you don't really know how to respond to them. So once you get to hitting it good we got to get you on the golf course. So I try to implement as much on-course stuff as I can. And I think coaching is trying to gravitate more and more towards that, and rightfully so. Um, We only have 18 holes here. But if I have an opportunity to get a kid on the golf course or any student on the golf course, that's where I'm going to take you. Got you. Awesome. That is awesome. So – now I have to kind of change gears here. I, I, I touched base on this last week. I'm not a big fan 
of the new um, LIV tour. I call it the LIV tour. I call it the live. The live yeah. tour. Um, a couple of people call it the Saudi yeah. um, public fun tour. Uh, but you being a PGA tour player, I, I thought that it would, it was, uh, an important question to ask and, and where you stand with it, because you are a member of the PGA from a player's perspective. How do you feel about the LIV PGA controversy? If yeah. you want to use that word, well, a couple of things, um, and this could be good for your audience too. And a lot of people get these mixed up being a PGA member as I am and being a PGA tour player, two totally separate people okay two separate uh organizations completely um now i've had experience on one and i am a pga member so i I have a little bit of experience on both but two totally different but with that aside okay um i I had a post i think i might have just put this on my personal post but here's how i looked at it my dream as a kid was to play i think when I, i watched so i was born in 86 Ten years old, first time playing a tournament. Guess what? What? 1996. You remember what happened at the Masters in 96? Not off the top of my head. No. Greg Norman, Nick Faldo, Greg Norman's collapse, six shots. Right. I remember watching that tournament think, I want to play golf for a living. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Not him collapsing, but just, this is the Masters. It's cool. So, anyway, you, you fast forward a little bit, but um, – that experience for me, that dream of playing the PGA Tour, I mean, you just you couldn't even like the only way you could experience it is actually play, you know, and like that was everything for for a golfer with ambition. Well, now you have the Live Tour, okay? I didn't grow up dreaming about winning a four million dollar purse on a meaningless golf course or, you know, in a meaningless tournament against 48 other guys who may or may not be the best in the world. I dreamed of winning Masters, U.S. Opens, British Opens, or the Open Championship, PGA Championships, the Greensboro, GGO, Wyndham Championship, whatever. You dreamed of winning those things. Those guys on tour did too. They dreamed of winning those tournaments. It's a money chase to to me. Now, I get it. I understand because if they called – me up and say hey we'll give you a few million dollars when you come play in a tournament well i'd be a fool i'm never going to make that kind of money ever um some of those guys they probably won't make a phil mickelson's not going to make 150 or 200 million dollars more in his career so i get it i understand where why they left but like good grief man how much more money do you need you got enough money to live off of the rest of your life so i think rory McIlroy puts it in a unbelievable perspective i think he totally sees it like uh-huh. this was my dream and the legacy part and all of that that's what they grew up as kids dreaming of right and hey i got enough money i don't need anything else i'm gonna stay right here and i'm gonna win majors and my name's gonna be on that trophy next to jack nicholas and arnold palmer and sam sneed and all these guys right uh, hogan um i think their perspective is right and i understand why the other guys left but i don't know i'm not buying it okay well, they, you heard it here first on Nick's Golf Guy podcast. Thank you very much for your perspective on that. Uh, so let's move on over to uh, Kiln Creek mm-hmm. Golf Course here. Um, and I asked you this, and uh, we'll just break it down. What is considered the signature hole here at Kiln Creek? The eighth hole's the signature hole. Is you, we actually start on the back nine, so right. you got to finish up kind of there. Yeah. And as soon as you got to it, your expression was... 
I see. I, I can see. <laughs> I, I can the, see why it's a signature it's hole. Yeah, it is. Um, you got the water; it just uh, goes along the right side. Um, you got great bunkering up the left. You got a little bunker out there at the at the corner that you have to ne- negotiate, and then you got a well protected green on pretty much all sides, um, and along with the water running up. So just it, it, they just play off of each other beautifully. Um, the landscaping is phenomenal and, um, it's a challenging, it's a challenging hole. If you hit in the right spots, it can be a rewarding hole, but it it can be challenging as well. Absolutely. Right. And I, I did find it quite challenging. I hit in a trap out of my trap, out of the trap and then into the water. So, uh, good times. Yeah. For, for me, you did obviously very well on that hole, but all right, great. So tell us about the course layout here at Kiln Creek and uh, what you find challenging about it. Well, like for instance, one of my questions was, does this course kind of uh, help you get ready for tournaments that you're, you play and you, you agreed that it, it yeah. does. So um, tell us a little bit more about the layout, uh, the challenge that average golfers like me should find. Yeah. So the, the golf course, as I was telling you earlier, this is, it was used to be swampland basically. And um, so everything's kind of built up and, um, that presents its own challenge because all the fairways are pushed up and fall away on each side. Uh, some of the greens are the same way. There's a lot of mounding that can kick and you know make your ball travel in different spots. To me, I think that is the difficulty part aspect mm-hmm. of it for your everyday average golfer because they're not going to stripe it right down the middle. They're going to hit it towards the edge of the fairway and hope that it kicks back in towards the middle, right. not away. Well, most things here kick away. And so I think that's where the challenge lies. Uh, but guess what? It, that's where it lies for me too. And I think that that, um, from a competitive standpoint and trying to prepare me for a tournament or whatever, it makes me narrow my focus to, I can't just hit it in the edge of the fairway. I got, I got to land this thing more in the middle to get it to stay in the fairway. Um, it's a little Donald Ross, Pinehurst number two off the tee right. in, in, in some respects. But, um, I think that offers its challenge, uh, just that, that landscape and how they've had to how they manufactured the golf course based off of what it was before. And, um, but, uh, it's, it is challenging. Uh, it can, I can stretch this place out setup wise almost to 7,000 yards or just over 7,000 by moving tees back, putting pins back. Uh Um, but it doesn't matter if you played all the way back and played at length or where we played it today, just the regular everyday, the, the white tee that's six, 6,000 yards. Um, now the dog legs, make you have to cut corners and you can hit it in trees and we both did yeah. um, or hit it through fairways as we both did i mean um it doesn't matter which tee you play out here it 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 offers a, its own unique challenges and and rewards as well so um we we made some good pars and some good birdies and we had some ugly bogeys and yeah. stuff like that too so <laughs> hey, that's golf and that's what we play and, and we as, enjoy every second of absolutely it. Yeah. absolutely so uh, one quick last question about kiln creek if i were to call you here as average golfer i'm coming to newport news on business i'm bringing my clubs with me hey why should i play kiln creek um as opposed to other other courses what would you tell me yeah i think um uh, you're getting the best bang for your buck here um and, and here's why. You can go to some other places. There's other resorts and everything up the road um, or down the road or whatever. Um, but for the price that you pay, pay, you're getting an unbelievable facility. You're getting exceptional course conditions. The fairways, the tees, the greens are rolling r- really nice. You have a great practice facility, a chipping green, a putting green, a bunker, grass range. Um, you got all the amenities as in terms of a golfer. If you just want to come here, hop right out of your car, get in a golf cart. We got GPS in the golf carts. Um, 
and just go play, it's phenomenal. But we're missing some good stuff. Like we have Nest Kitchen and Tap House right here behind us. You haven't even been over there yeah. yet because we had not had time yet. Um, they got 20 craft beers. I'm not a drinker or don't drink at all, but they got 20 craft beers over there. Um, they, they mix it up. You can get anything from a burger to a steak. Um, they have phenomenal desserts and phenomenal plated dinners at, uh, in the evenings. Um, they got they serve brunch, which is phenomenal. Um, like you, you got to have a full experience. It's not just golf, right? When yeah. We play golf, we're hungry. Yeah. And we exactly. want great food, and we want great amenities, and all this. Well, we have it right here. Um, televisions layered everywhere out uh, over there as well. So it's a great spot for you to play golf, a championship golf course that can provide you uh, penalties as well as rewards. Um, and when you finish up, you have an unbelievable spot. You can go grab a beer or grab a hot dog or grab a burger or a steak or whatever you want and just really cap off the experience. And so if somebody's coming out and they're wanting to bring their friends out and show them a good time, this is going to be the spot. Uh, and we can guarantee that's going to be a, a cool experience for them. Oh, right on. And uh, 100% agree with you on everything you just said because I've had a fantastic time today. Uh, for sure here killing creek if you are in the neighborhood of the coastal virginia location killing creek is the place to place to play definitely and krista krista will be glad to go take you out if yep. uh, he has some time yep. for sure so chris um i have one little part of my show that i do it's called the short game mm -hmm. a couple of quick questions for you mm -hmm. and uh then i'll uh let you get back to doing the golf thing you ready to head on over to the short game yeah sure. all right fantastic All right, and welcome to this uh, round 15, the short game. I am here with Chris Dillow, the head golf pro here at Killen Creek Golf Club. Chris, uh, here on the short game, I got a quick question for you. Um, if you were to BYOF, build your own foursome, dead or alive, who would you pick? Well, I'm just going to stick with, with golf legends, and it's going to be pretty boring. But um, Tiger Woods would obviously be on there. Uh, Jack Nicklaus would be number oh, two. Whoa. And um, the third would be Ben Hogan. I hear you. Yeah. Whoa, you're going with the big guns. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I've, I've seen Woods play. He's obviously one of the greatest of all time, as is uh, Nicklaus. And I just um, – I would enjoy watching Ben Hogan just – get around a golf course uh, in as few words as possible, but just what that experience would, would be like. Right. Um, that would be an amazing even, experience to play, yeah. uh, have a foursome with, the, with yeah, that you crew. You think about the ball striking going on in that group. Um, it would be phenomenal uh -oh. to just witness it and see how you stack up against yeah, it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, well, great. So now we're going to head on over to the um, golf language lesson. I do this every week on the podcast. And um, I'm going to name, uh, I'm going to use, I'm going to shout out three words to you and uh, see if you know the definitions of them. Okay. They're golf terms. Okay. Okay. <laughs> In regards to golf. The first word for the golf language lesson is apron. What is apron? Apron. So apron's essentially the fringe. Um, and you can even get an apron in the fairway if they have that. You got the fairway cut, first cut, and then you get into the rough. There's your apron. There you go. <laughs> The section of the fairway that is leading up to the front of the green. You're absolutely correct. And then the, the second word on the golf language lesson is platypus. What is a platypus? 
You got me. I, I have no clue. You've never heard. You've never heard this me. One? I'm just as eager to hear this okay. definition as you are. All right. This is the type of play is named after the platypus, which is a fairly uncommon species. This term is appropriate when a golfer is still able to make par after hitting the ball out of bounds. Okay. Since it is rare to see this happen on the course, they gave it a rare name. So hitting par after hitting it out of bounds is a platypus. That's I like. I'll, I'm going to use that. There you go. All That's right. That's pretty cool. That's why we do it here yeah. at Nick's Golf Guy Podcast. That's great. Okay, and then the third word uh, of the golf language lesson here on round 15. I, and I kind of picked this because I, I knew you would probably get it hands down, is stimp meter. What is a stimp meter? Stimp meter is the device you, they use to determine the speed of the green. So if you hear that the greens are stimping a 9, a 10, 11, 12, it is a device that they use for that. I actually have one that I'll check the stimp of air greens from time to time for students. Uh-huh. So I got a little cheat sheet book that will tell you the break on the putt. Ah, <laughs> there you yeah. go. I knew it. I knew you would get that one right. That is correct. So you were two for three. Platus pushed. I threw you the curveball like we were in Wrigley Field. That's right. And uh, um, that's what I. That's what I always hope get somebody. I get somebody stuck on you one did. of these words because no, I'm. Did. I'm always stuck on them. I'm like, yep. what the. All right, great. Well, hey, Chris, I want to thank you very much for uh, joining me on Nick's Golf Guy podcast, a Thanks podcast for designed for average golfers. Uh, really thank you for uh, you know sharing your uh, golf knowledge and experience and, and playing around on the course with me today. Thanks, Nick. I well, appreciate it, and thank you for coming, and uh, appreciate your time in doing this. Right on, for sure. Hopefully one day we can get together uh, some other time and play around sure. and uh, podcast away. Yep. All right, my man, take care. Thank you. Thank you. Had a really good time playing Killin' Creek with my guest, Chris Dillo today, and I hope you, my fellow average golfers, put Kiln Creek on your must playlist when you come to the coastal Virginia area. Stay tuned for Nick's Golf Guy podcast next week, round 16, with my friend and first year Booker T. Washington High School golf coach, Gerard Campbell. We'll be coming to you from Ocean View Golf Course in Norfolk, Virginia. Really looking forward to it. That's going to be it for this round 15 of Nick's Golf Guy podcast. I want to thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with round 16 of Nick's Golf Guy podcast, the podcast designed for average golfers like me. Until then, my fellow average golfers, tee times, tee offs, and better scores for a happy average golfer life.